world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, or on your treadmill. Climb your way. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. I want my new contract. But I like you. Yes, I like you, Jerry. My wife likes you. You're good to my wife. I will stay with you. That's, that's great. I'm very happy. Are you listening? Yes. That's what I'm going to do for you. God bless you, Jerry. But this is what you're going to do for me. You listen? Jerry? Yeah, what, what, what can I do for you, Rod? You just tell me what can I do for you. It's a very personal, very important thing. Hell. It's a family model. Are you ready, Jerry? I'm ready. Just want to make sure you're ready, brother. Here it is. Show me the money. Show you the money. Oh, no, no, you can do better than that, Jerry. I want you to say it. What you would mean it, brother? Hey, I got bombs. Show on the other line. I better hear you say it. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Show me the money. Show me the money. Louder. Show me the money. That's it, brother. What you got to yell that shit? Show me the money. I need to feel you, Jerry. Show me the money. Jerry, you better yell. Show me the money. Show me the money. Congratulations, you're still my agent. How about them Cowboys indeed? It is the Athletic NFL, and it is your go-to source for all things in-depth concerning America's team. And what an eventful past week it's been in Cowboys Nation. So, I've gathered the best of the best when it comes to separating fact from fiction, as we dig into a little bit of this Dak Prescott contract drama, and maybe figure out what old trader Jerry's willing to give up for Jamal Adams, finally, once and for all. So, welcome back in to About Them Cowboys. I'm Kent Garrison, producing and slowly working my way back into normal society, uh, unfortunately, because I don't know about you guys, but uh, this social distancing thing is kind of fitting my brand. And remember, you at home can follow along with all of our award-winning Cowboys coverage here at The Athletic by going to theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. Get 40% off your subscription. Maybe you want to dig into Bob Sturm's piece on the worst days of Jason Garrett. Maybe you're wondering what Saad Yusuf is trying out for this week. Maybe you just want to check out John Mishoda's incredible Cowboys coverage. You can do all that for 40% off at theathletic.com slash aboutthemcowboys. And that rounds out to about 
three bucks a month. So think of it as maybe like one less cheesy gordita crunch a month. I know it's hard to give up, but it's worth it to be with The Athletic. So theathletic.com slash about them cowboys. Get on it for 40% off. Now let's welcome in our panel for this episode. We're welcoming in for the first time here on About Them Cowboys. He is constantly holding things down on hashtag Cowboys Twitter. He's the field producer for the NFL Network, co-host of the Boys and Girl podcast with Jane Slater, and is the official spokesman of the 1990s cartoon Recess. It's Bobby Belt. Hey, Bobby. How are you? Hello. I am that. I am all those things. And the uh, the official uh, Twitter troll, too. That's, that's another thing you forgot there. Yes. I, I mean, I'll only follow you for your recess-related tweets, so I'm glad that you've kept those coming at a consistent level. Or else. I do it for you. Thank you. Well, he's uh, constantly annoyed by hashtag Cowboys Twitter, and he's the official spokesman of the Taika Waititi film Jojo Rabbit. It's Father John Mishoda. Howdy, John. <laughs> hey, I've never even seen an episode of Recess. Oh my goodness, Gosh. add that to the list of, has John seen it? Because John's like 50, it's way past <laughs> his his era. That's a consistent thing on this show. If anything else, we find out weekly things John has and hasn't seen that, that blow the mind. So, And also wanted to let you know, John, that every time I try to type your name out, it says Machete instead of Mishoda. That's so uh, if we didn't have the Father John Mishoda nickname already, you would just be the Machete, which is pretty badass. In itself. That's, I'm fine with that too. Yes. And back again to guide our convo. He's the lifeblood of Cowboys Twitter and this show. He's the podcast spokesman for all things concerning The Office. And he's the newsman for Dallas's number two sports, rock, rap, jazz, comedy, infused radio show. It's Kevin K.T. Turner. Welcome back, K.T. Good to have you. Thank you very much, Ken. I appreciate uh, uh, the promotion of uh, our radio show as well. I appreciate that. We cover a lot of genres there on 97.1 The Eagle. Um, The number two. Sports, rock, jazz, talk, rap, rock station. Um, so uh, let's start with uh, – we talk, we talk about Dak a lot, so let's do the Jamal Adams stuff first. You guys okay with that? Yeah. Let's go. You know what? I don't know why I asked you because that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> so Jamal Adams, um, I'm very unhappy uh, with the Jets. He wants a deal now because I'll be damned if there's anybody who needs a deal. You know, think about all the people and all the things going on in the world. Hey, man, I haven't been paid yet on my rookie deal, so I need to get paid now. So Jamal Adams is unhappy, and he's kind of pouting with the Jets. And I get it. Good player. Um, and then I think, you know, because of, A, the Cowboys' always a relative need for a safety, it seems like. <laughs> it's something that's been there for a long time. The fact that, you know, Jamal Adams is from Louisville, has ties to the era, uh, to the area, has expressed interest in playing here for years. And I'll be darned, the Cowboys just get tied to his name real quickly. Whether they like it or not, they get tied to Jamal Adams. So Jamal Adams wants a contract from the Jets. The Jets are like, well, no, you can go ahead and wait and play the season out, and then maybe we'll pay you after next year. You know, We just don't want to do it now because you have a year left on your rookie deal, not to mention the fifth-year option. So he's pouting, and he's getting uh, – he's out there – on the perceived trade block, despite the Jets really placing him there yet, and the Cowboys are involved, and then rumors start coming out that the Cowboys would be willing to offer a first and a third. Oh, well, then another offer gets dangled out there. A first and a third and Michael Gallup. Like all kinds of just insane trade offers and things like that. Uh, I'll start with you, John, and then Bobby, you weigh in. John, kind of your overall take on uh, 
Jamal Adams gate, which seems to come up every three or four months these days. So I completely understand the interest there because he is a player that I think steps in right away and he's just an, an absolute beast on the back end of the defense, something that would make an immediate impact and it makes a ton of sense for just about any team other than the Dallas Cowboys. It's Jason Garrett and his staff was not the only people in the building that did not want to put a significant investment in a safety. And it'd be one thing if Jamal Adams was under a relatively uh, team-friendly deal. Like Jamal Adams, if you trade for him, you give up the draft picks, and then you also have to pay him. And the top safeties are making $14, $15 million a year. That's what you're going to have to be paying this guy. Like I just don't see all of a sudden being the team – that has put the least amount of resources of any team into the safety position to all of a sudden be the team that goes and makes a move like this because of a new coaching change. I just, I just don't see that happening. Um, if it did, I, I think it has amazing impact and it's an immediate um, uh, game changer. And I could see why fans would be super happy about it. I'm just saying pump your brakes because I just don't see that being a fit with this particular team. Uh, yeah, I don't see it as anything that, they would actually entertain in terms of that they'd be willing to give up the capital that it would take and that they'd invest in the extension that he's going to want. Um, I, while I don't think that they would do that, I do think that it would be a significant upgrade for them at an area that they've needed to upgrade for a long time. And I know that they like Jamal Adams a lot, and I know they entertained it a little bit at the trade deadline last year, but it's got to be under their terms and their terms just aren't going to get it done, especially because of how public Jamal Adams and his camp have been in their affinity for Dallas. It's sort of like the Earl Thomas situation a couple of years ago where it was, you know, okay, it's going to cost a second rounder to go get Earl Thomas, except for you Dallas Cowboys, it's going to cost you a first because he so clearly wants to go there and you so badly want him. And it kind of changes the leverage in these types of negotiations. So I, I think whatever the cost is, there's a multiplier on it when applied to Dallas. And I just I don't think they'd pay the market value, much less the elevated value that it would take for Dallas specifically to acquire Jamal Adams. But they do both think highly of each other, I think. I think the Cowboys think highly of Jamal Adams. I know Jamal Adams would love to be a Cowboy. He wants to be here. He's from the area, like KT said. Uh, I just I don't think this is anything that would happen until probably he hits free agency in a couple of years and the Cowboys have a better understanding of where they're at with all their contracts and where the salary cap is with the new TV deal. Hey, real quick, I just wanted to throw in there. It is it is pretty smart for a player to say that they want to go to the Dallas Cowboys. Like, I think that that is that is like a really good tactic, because for one, it's going to get you talked about all the time, like especially whether whether it's times like this where there aren't other sports going on or it's just the off season. Like when you say the Cowboys, you're automatically going to be one of the most talked about topics. If, if he says that he's always wanted to play for the Arizona Cardinals, it's not getting nearly the traction as it has. <laughs> and I really think that that helped Earl Thomas to a certain extent. I mean, Earl Thomas's deal, I don't know, it was like four for uh, 55, 60, something like that. But yeah. it was a lot more than I thought he was going to get. And I don't know, maybe that helped him out saying that, you know, I really, I would love to go play for the Cowboys. Like there's something about that Cowboys brand that will always get you in the headlines and get people talking about you. And so maybe, maybe it's just a good move on him. I know he would love to play for the Cowboys and, and come play for the hometown team. I get all that. But even if you don't want to, maybe it's in your best interest as a player just to say that you want to play for the well, Cowboys. Well, and, and to that extent, it never got out. But I know that when the Jarvis Landry trade happened a couple of years back to Cleveland, 
there was an effort to kind of get that out in the media was Jarvis Landry would love to play for the Cowboys. And they knew there was no chance Jarvis Landry was going to come to the Cowboys. But uh, to John's point, there there's a value there in getting that out there. And I think the Cowboys recognize that value of having their name attached to these sorts of things, even if they have no intention of going there. I do think that Jamal Adams is more realistic than some of the others that talk about how they want to come here. Cause I think he genuinely does want to come home. I, I know he wants to be a cowboy, but you know, there's realistic obstacles in the way that'll make it too difficult. I think for him to end up here before he's done with his rookie deal. See, I, I think it's interesting. You brought up Earl Thomas too, uh, in a completely different situation, of course, but Earl Thomas, a guy who at least said he wanted to be here, probably helped him make a little more money. Um, but like the Cowboys never wanted him as much as he wanted to be here. And looking at what Jamal Adams would cost, the Cowboys not, not anywhere close to wanting him as much as he would want to be here. Is this just a thing of like, uh, I'll start with you, John. Is this just a thing of a fan base getting chatty and honestly, media pundits maybe getting a little chatty too, because of, you know, it is a slow time in sports talk combined with the fact that this team has not had a top flight safety since Darren Woodson? Is that kind of what this is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, not just a top flight safety, just a, a defensive backfield for the last five years that just doesn't cause any turnovers. And with the way this team is built, um, if, if you if you were to tell me that we fast forward until February and, and you're telling me the Cowboys are playing in the Super Bowl, then I'm going to feel pretty confident in saying that they probably – uh, we're significantly better enforcing turnovers because I don't see this defense being the type of defense that's just going to shut teams down. They're going to have to get takeaways, and that just hasn't been something they've been able to do. And you, if you added a, a playmaker like that to the back end, that was always the thing with with Earl Thomas. You know, same type of deal with with Jamal Adams. Just the, the possibilities of, of what you could see on this defense are just things that you haven't seen in the past. I mean, you're used to. Um, you know, solid safety play from guys like Jeff Heath and, and Barry Church and, and uh, you know, even Xavier Woods. And it, it's been solid, but it's not you haven't had a game breaker back there that could that can literally on one play just change an entire game. And that's the type of player Jamal Adams is. And fans know that. I mean, he's been like that. He's been that type of guy from high school on through college and, and then now in the pros. And so, um, you know, he just he's he's the type of a leader on the back end like that and, and, and a guy that could kind of, you know, ignite things and, and possibly turn around a defense that really hasn't been a playmaking defense for a while. And so um, that's what I think from the fan standpoint, I think that they get excited about that because it's something that they haven't had. And then really from the national perspective or just talking about the Cowboys in general, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it, whoever you want to talk about, if you talk about them being involved with the Dallas Cowboys, it's going to be a major story. And so um, and then, hey, and and. Hats off to the Cowboys because they do a good job of completely not stomping out anything and uh, doing interviews and such that keep conversations going. And, and and there's just a lot of teams. I know we're going to talk about Dak in a little bit, but there's a lot of teams that would handle uh, the Dak conversation differently if he was their quarterback as opposed to doing as many interviews and things like that that get things put out there that make it continuously. Like just when you think the story's over, it's like something new comes out and then moves it right back to the top. You know, another thing I would like to say, too, about Jamal Adams, and I think, look, I think Jamal Adams is awesome. I, I think he's a great player. But I think there's immediately this, like, because he went that high in the draft, just some immediate th- thought that this guy comes in and changes everything in your secondary. And I'm not sure that he does that. Like, if you watch him in New York, he plays a lot of strong safety, plays down in the box a lot, which is fine. 
he can cover. He can play, you know, free safety if asked to, but he wasn't asked to do that much with the Jets. Like, I do feel like before we start going, okay, let's trade for this guy. Let's trade a first-round pick for this guy. And then let's sign him to a $14 million deal long-term. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Let's kind of look at what he does first. Just two interceptions in three years. He does not play a lot of single high safety. And I don't know how much the Cowboys are going to ask Xavier Woods to do that this year with Mike Nolan. Um, Defense is obviously going to be a little bit different than we've seen the last decade. But I think he's great. I'm just – I guess what I'm trying to say is, and I felt this way about Earl Thomas because of age and injuries. If I'm going to go pay top market and first round draft pick style, you know, that's the currency that I'm going to have to go give up. Then I need a guy who is as perfect as can be as a player. And he is really good for what he does. But, you know, don't I need this guy to go get me five or six interceptions? And I know he's got got a lot of forced fumbles and things like that. He has proven that he can help a defense a ton. And I do think he's one of the best safeties in football. But, man, before I, I just think right now it just kind of makes a little sense to, hey, let's let him hold out first and let's let the Jets price go down before we start just throwing around first-round draft picks. Feels like we've been willing to do that a little more. And I know we traded for Amari Cooper and you start thinking, oh, we gave up a first. I just – it just feels a little I – w- I would be nervous about giving up a first-round pick and paying – a guy like Jamal Adams. I wasn't really nervous about doing that for Amari Cooper. I'm nervous about doing that for Jamal Adams, if that makes sense. I think that what Jamal Adams brings to the table, and I guess I'll play devil's advocate a little bit here, because I, I mean, I would give up, if it was a first and third, I'd give that up for Jamal Adams, especially knowing what kind of comp picks they have coming in, and then you're kind of in a similar spot to where you were after you traded the Cooper pick, because you're going to likely pick up an extra third. Um, and so... I think what Jamal Adams brings is the thing that that team lacked the most last year, which is edge and leadership. And I, I think he immediately comes in there and guys in that secondary and on that defense gravitate towards his energy and, and the way he plays football. And, you know, it, it's very, to me, the guy that he reminds me the most of, not necessarily in, in the way they play the game, somewhat similar, but more just the type of energy they bring. He reminds me so much of Brian Dawkins. And I think that the Cowboys defense could really use a Brian Dawkins and, and use that type of edge and that leadership. And so I, I think the biggest benefit is you're getting a big time player if you go get him and, and a guy who can do a lot for your defense and can be a, a flexible piece. And, you know, Leighton Vander Esch said a couple weeks ago to us that, you know, we're all X's. He used that term twice, which sounded like a coach word that they've been hearing in these minicamp meetings that, you know, they're going to be multiple and they're going to be asked to be flexible and do a lot of different things. And and Jamal Adams can do all of that. And so there's benefit there. But I think the biggest benefit is, you know, you bring in somebody who can really build up the young leadership on that side of the ball for the next five, six years. Yeah, and to that point, I, I just I just look at the Cowboys secondary, too. If you're looking at it from a Cowboys fan perspective, I mean, I'm going to go over the last 10 years and they're just – Although they've had some good corners, they're just not guys or even defensive backs, safeties, corners, whatever you want to put in there, that just make big time game changing plays. Like there's just and and part of that is the way that they were coached. I'm I'm not going to put it all on the player, but Byron Jones makes Pro Bowl, not really making those plays in the back end. Brandon Carr, Morris Claiborne, Orlando Scandrick, you know Jeff Heath, Barry Church, like solid guys. But there's not that guy that's back there that you're just like you feel like is just got that 
you know, brings a little bit of a swagger back there that, hey, you know what? He's going to take some gambles and maybe you get burned once or twice, but he's also going to make some game changing plays. And I just feel like Jamal Adams has that type of swagger. No, he absolutely does, too. If you look at it, six forced fumbles, four fumble recoveries in three years at the Jets. You know, take the, uh, add that to the two interceptions. Like, he does have game changing plays. Not to mention they had six and a half sacks last year. And when you watch him play, too, you see that he's more a factor in these games. You know, I mean, you, you see him make his presence felt at different times. We saw it last year in person when the Cowboys went to New York mm-hmm. and got beat by the Jets. So uh, I just I just feel like uh, all, every time these conversations come up, and they're fun to talk about, right? That's what we're talking about right now. But I immediately go, well, let's think about this. Why would the Cowboys do that, and why would the Jets do that? And the Jets – you know, might need, might could benefit from from trading him early, and the way they're talking about it is, hey, no, we're gonna have him, but he's gonna if he goes and holds out of camp, if there is a camp, if he holds out of camp and doesn't play, yeah, then the Jets, uh, the Jets' hand is gonna be forced a little bit. I would think they would want to keep him. I would, I would think the Jets would try to see this year as a winnable division, given what's happened with the Patriots. But I mean, if your guy's holding out, what do you do? Your options are pay the guy. Or or not. So the Jets have uh, Jets kind of have a their their hands going to be forced at some point when he holds out, and that's where I think the Cowboys could come in pounce then and when the Jets are out of leverage op- options, and then maybe that first round pick becomes a two. And Bobby made the good point. Uh, you know the Cowboys will likely be getting a three back for Byron leaving. I just go back to you know the reason Byron's not here. Is it because of money, or is it because the Cowboys didn't think he was a guy who could get turnovers? Is it both? Yeah, it's yeah, a little it's, bit of it's both. both. Yeah, for sure. But there were no comments about his money. There were comments about him not getting turnovers. And, you know, again, he's gotten turnovers in a different way. But Jamal Adams is not your classic interception guy. And I think if I'm going to pay for a safety, that's what I'm going to pay for. I just feel like, and again, he's he's both. He's not just a strong safety. He, he is both. But like, And they're probably going to play more looks that kind of have guys doing both. Um but I just I don't know. And I well, also, and, and, and to your point, just really quickly, I do want to say that you bring up a good point about if you play the waiting game a little bit, I, I think there's going to be a better understanding of how bad things are there right now between him and the Jets because they are yeah. not great. He and Greg Williams do not get along. Everybody I've talked to around that situation says he and Greg Williams do not like each other, the defensive coordinator. And Jamal Adams, I know, felt kind of last year at the end, at the deadline, that, you know, all right, I'm going to be a good soldier. I'll play this out. But he had kind of resigned himself to the fact that I'm not going to sign an extension here. And so I think there has probably been a little bit of an attempt to downplay and keep quiet how bad things are to your point so that things don't feel like they're being forced. Um, And so maybe that's the Cowboys strategy. I'm sure they know where things stand right now, and they're just waiting for the court of public opinion to start weighing in on how bad things actually are between Jamal Adams and the Jets. You know, know, I'm really interested just to see across the entire NFL, when is the next time that a big deal gets done? Because obviously he needs, a, he wants a major deal. He wants to be probably the highest paid safety in football. And, and that's fine. But even tying into, like I mentioned with, with Dak's contract, like I, I'm, I'm really interested because of being in this pandemic, like when, not knowing when the season's going to start, where, where you're going to have a season, 
if you're going to have a season, if fans are going to be allowed, there's just so much uncertainty. I, I'm just interested to see when a team is going to really want to spend some money if it's going to be anytime soon. Maybe it, maybe it isn't until that July 15th deadline, and maybe the Cowboys are a team that, that does it with Dak. But I just I look at the whole Jamal Adams thing, and I'm just like, he obviously wants to get paid by the Jets. They don't seem to want to pay him right now. I don't know that that's going to change in the next few months. Yeah, and no, that's where, again, I think a lot of times the, the number one focus, aside from like getting on the field and making sure the season works, the, the number two thing that owners are going to be thinking about and big-time decision makers are going to be thinking about across the league are how are our financials? <laughs> like, it will be player safety and how do we make this season work? And then it will go to financials, if not, if, if maybe not in reverse order there. <laughs> so I think that's where it does get interesting, and I think that kind of takes us to our next topic. Before we move on and talk a little bit about this Dak Prescott situation, I know Father's Day is coming up. I know a lot of you out there are struggling to find something to get your father. You want to get something that will actually use and that will actually impact his life. And as we know, smelling good is important. Too many smelly dads out there. Let's fix that. You know what smells really good? Hawthorne. What sets Hawthorne apart from other colognes is that it's personalized. You're not buying some over-the-counter generic, maybe blue polo or Old Spice brand stuff that everybody has. What you do is you take a quick two-minute quiz and Hawthorne tells you the other colognes that are best for you. One for work and one for play. It's totally risk-free with free shipping and free returns. If you're looking for maybe a personal gift for that father, you don't want to go the generic route by just getting him a gift card, check out Hawthorne. Smells really good. Go to Hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E. .co, not .com. Hawthorne.co and use our promo code ATHLETIC and get 10% off your purchase. That's Hawthorne.co. Use ATHLETIC as the promo code and get 10% off your purchase. So, quit delaying that Father's Day shopping. Get on it at Hawthorne.co. Chris Sims... I'm going to be honest, guys. I don't even know where Chris Sims works. NBC Sports? Pro Football Talk. Pro Football Talk. Okay. Uh, I know he does the, the Sunday – he's on the Sunday night uh, pregame show. Chris Sims, former backup to Major Applewhite, <laughs> had some hot takes this week. Now, I don't know if he just needed content because, look, it's not like there's a ton of football news beating out our door every day. But he goes to the table with this, guys. I think he went and conjured this up in the writing room with Florio and the gang over at NBC Sports. Dak's demanding for $45 million a year. Okay, who wants the first crack at it? Teed it up for you guys. <laughs> you who leak stuff. The- you leak it to Chris Sims. I mean, he's the... I mean, always. He, he's pretty much the new Schefter. Let, let, me just, let me just tie this in with my watching of the last dance four or five times in a row here. <laughs> All right, like, there's a pretty key part in there in that documentary about the... 90s bulls about this uh the jordan rules book that came out written by sam smith a a writer in chicago and he talked about how you know michael jordan wanted to blame it all on horace grant is the reason why this book was they got all this behind the scenes well sam smith was like no there's just no way that it would just be horace grant or if it would even be horace grant because you needed at least two sources to write on something like that well as i'm going through journalism school that's always the same thing you always need two sources need two sources need two sources well that was a good 10 15 years ago very rarely anymore are people getting two sources before they start putting stuff out there. And now with Twitter, you don't even have to be a reporter. You can just hear something and just put it out there. And it might not even be something you're really trying to report. You just might want to be like, hey, I heard this rumor or whatever. 
and that might be what you're trying to say, but that that not necessarily is how it was interpreted by other people. And so I don't know that he was necessarily trying to break a quote unquote report, because as we all know, like you all, we, we all hear stuff, but it's you also balance in your mind, like, do I want to put this out there because I don't know that it's a hundred percent true, and I don't want to be stirring up a bunch of stuff. Now some people do like to just stir it up, and for no other better reason than just that. And so it, it was kind of interesting coming from him. But at the same time, I can't sit here and say that he hasn't talked to somebody that doesn't know somebody. I mean, he works in the NFL, works for Pro Football Talk. He's around NFL people. So, hey, maybe he did hear something. But at the same time, I don't know that every rumor or every everything that gets out there is really some really like deep dive into it the way that it used to be where you're like, OK, if this is being reported, then this is an absolute fact. This is what was offered to him. And, and I don't know that that was ever the case. I think it was more of a hearsay. Uh, of what he heard about particular numbers, but I could be wrong. That's just what I took out of out of him reporting it, and then obviously it comes out that from Dak's side that that that's not true. Yeah, and I mean I <laughs> this is this is I tweeted this the other day, but I I've said before that like I feel like I can get a grasp on whether you understand the NFL or not based on how you're arguing about Dak Prescott's contract negotiations and and what is too much or, or how this should play out or X, Y, Z or whatever. And that was a good example of it to where, first off, Chris Sims aside, who the only other time I remember him ever making big comments about the Cowboys was him getting in trouble for complaining about the way Tony Romo was hired to replace his dad and him having to backtrack that and apologize since Phil Sims kept a job there. Um, but the other thing is that let's say his report's even true. Okay, $35 million annually. Dak turns that down and wants to make $45 million the last year of the deal. If that's the case, that to me says that whatever Chris Sims heard, the structure of the deal that Dak was looking at that would cause him to say, I want 45 was probably to bump the average up closer to 36 or, or whatever average he wanted, which means the other years were lower. And I, I don't know why people don't see this and, and kind of put together or, or have a general understanding of, Somebody making $45 million in year five of a deal may have no bearing on, you know, the contract average being over 35 or 36 because of the way these deals get structured. And so I do find it a little irritating, one, that people so frequently can kind of just pop off at the mouth and, and create buzz that then social media wants to take and run with as fact. But then that social media doesn't even seem to understand a lot of times the implications of, of what's being reported or, or fill in the details of why that wouldn't necessarily be absurd. Yeah. And look, it, it's, and you can talk about things like that in a way it's easy for people to take in information. You know, I think that's why you see a headline, like, like there's a whole thing I was reading uh, a couple weeks ago. I was reading a big article about the age of skimming and now we're just branded or we're not branded, but we're, we're almost, by habit, we skim Twitter timelines quickly, scrolling up, scrolling up in these 140-character tweets, and we're not reading. We're not stopping and reading as much as maybe we should, and it's taught us bad habits. So I think things like that happen too, headline porn kind of what is what it is. I guess what I would ask, though, given where the Cowboys are, given where their window is, also given the uncertainty of the economy of the league going forward, what's the number – um, and I know Dak wants a four-year deal. What's the number that is fair that we've been talking about for Dak? Is it has it changed at all? Is it still, you know, you know that Goff Wentz range? Is that more than that? What is that number? 
given inflation, given everything, given the uncertainty of the league, what what is something that fans should be happy with and Dak should uh, be happy with and the Cowboys should be happy with? One thing that makes everyone happy. Um, I, I think uh, put yourself a year from now and the contract that you'd say, I wouldn't pay Dak Prescott this. If a Dak doubter would say, I wouldn't pay him this, but I'd pay him this much a year from now, whatever that number would be, that's what he should get now. Because that's what inevitably happens. I cannot tell you how frequently, and I've done this to people on Twitter before, where somebody this offseason has come to me and said, he's not a $33 million quarterback. He's not this quarterback. I'd pay him, you know, 30, but that's it. That's the bottom line. Okay, well, then I go look through your Twitter history, and I see exactly one year ago you were dreading that he'd get paid like Jimmy Garoppolo's 27 a year. Okay, so everybody needs to realize that two to three years down the road, any deal he signs is going to look like a bargain. The Cowboys have already cost, they could have signed him to a market setting deal, you know, at the beginning of last offseason that already by now, if all the other deals fall into place, would have been like third or fourth. And then with Watson and Mahomes and other guys going, he quickly is going to slide down the list. I always point to Cam Newton's contract, which was, you know, a market setter or number two overall or something like that. And by the second year of that extension, he was already like 12th in the NFL. And, and so that's the thing is that people got to just look at get it done now and save yourself money. The Cowboys could have saved themselves so much money if they would have just gotten this deal done last offseason. And I think that fair is generally next guy up. That's how these NFL contracts are handled is next guy up. Joel Corey from CBS Sports always does a really good job at projecting these things. I always am amazed how close he gets to what the final figures are. And I know when I... Asked him recently, you know, what what do you think Dak ends up with? He had said he thought somewhere in the realm of four years, he thought Cowboys would cave on that fifth year. Four years, it was going to be higher than Russell Wilson's average, probably 36 to 37 million, and the guarantees were going to come in above Goff and Wentz. And I think any deal that the Cowboys offer, they're not serious. They're not taking this seriously if they don't offer him a guarantee above Goff and Wentz. There's just no way you can come in lower than them with a contract offer and have it be reasonably considered by Dak's side. Yeah, I would, I'd agree with that. I, uh, I also, though, have to go back to the whole pandemic thing and just the fact of, you know, you see like Forbes had a story out and how much it's going to cost teams if they don't have fans in the stands or just by going off of what the 2018 numbers were. And, and I just bring this up because the Cowboys were making significantly more than any other team. And so I know it's a salary cap and all that, but I'm just saying keep that in your mind for, you know, if you're thinking like the Joneses in that, like they're going to be factoring in going forward, the idea of what if there's eight home games that we have and there's not a fan in the stand? Like, I I think that has to have some impact on it. And I agree with you. Joel Corey is great on all that stuff. Um, So I don't have any reason to doubt those numbers that he put out. And (laughs) so I I put up this uh, survey a few days ago on the athletic and it's just all Cowboys, 35 Cowboys questions. And I'm going to write about the results for, for Wednesday. And so I just have to give you guys one, one thing, cause <laughs> I was just looking at the results and I thought this was interesting. Maybe it won't be to you, but, um, so one of the questions I asked was how, how should you, how should the Cowboys handle Dak Prescott's contract? And my first, I it was four different options. And the first one was just pay him. Even if it means making him the highest paid player in the league, just pay him and get this over with. And then the next option was, you know, pay him, but don't make him the highest paid player in the league, you know, make it competitive basically in that 36, 30, whatever uh, range. Uh, the other one was uh, wait until the end of the season and then and then revisit it then, basically letting him play underneath the franchise tag. And then the last one was just let him go, 
uh, after this season and and find a new find a new quarterback. And forty percent of everybody that voted on it's a little over two thousand votes. Forty percent said pay him, even if it means making him the highest paid player in the NFL. And that just kind of surprised me because. I just feel like, again, being on Twitter, it's so split between people that are like, just let him leave. And then people <laughs> that are like, and see who wants to pay, who else is going to pay him that? You know, I don't, I don't see anybody that's going to make him the highest paid player. And then there's, and then it's split between people like, just get this thing done. But yeah, 40% said that they would be fine with him being the highest paid player as long as it just gets done and it's in the rear view. Well, and that tells me that 40% of the fan base is actually somewhat knowledgeable about how these contract structures work. Because I'll be honest, I, I think it's very dangerous if you let this slide into next year and you, a second franchise tag. I think you risk a lot of hurt feelings and, and damage relationships the way the Redskins did with Kirk Cousins. And like, I don't want to be hyperbolic, but I, I think if you are the team that decides, realistically, we've only seen one team that says, well, we're willing to walk away from our quarterback and just let them play this out. And that was the Redskins. And I don't think anybody should be taking cues from the Redskins and how to run an organization. I don't think that's a wise thing to do. But if you let Dak Prescott walk or you damage this to the point where Dak Prescott just decides, I'll play out the two tags and then I'm gone. Like, to me, that's, you know, not that he's on this level, but to me, that's like similar type of moment in time that people look at of, okay, well, you picked, you know, Sam Bowie second overall trailblazers or like, you know, $100,000 to the Red Sox and, you know, give us babe. Not that he's Babe Ruth or Michael Jordan, but that it's going to be a similar turning point where people go, that was a massively stupid moment in time where you got too cute and and you really jeopardized your franchise for the next decade. I, I honestly don't think it ever gets there, though. I really I really don't. I, I, I don't I, either. I, I even, just wouldn't risk that. Yeah, I, I just even with all this stuff. And I know that I feel like fans probably think that there's constantly things changing um, because it's always being talked about on TV and it's very hot topic on social media. So they, they think that there's all these like moving gears and things are changing. But then when you talk to people that actually know what's going on, there's very little dialogue. I mean, this past season, they didn't talk at all. They, they talked at the beginning of the season and then they didn't talk again until February. So it's like, there isn't all this movement constantly going on. Like there's this daily phone call. Hey, were you guys willing to come up on that number? Okay. What about on the guarantee? Like it's not going down like that. And so people think it's constantly changing and, and things like that. And, and that's not the case. And I, I really do still feel at the end of the day that he's going to, he's going to get a deal done with them because they really want him to still be their quarterback. And whenever the Cowboys want somebody, they generally get something done with them. I can't think of another time recently that they haven't. Yeah, and I think one thing I would say, too, you think about how it all played out with uh, Kirk Cousins in Washington. I think I would say, and this this is going to seem simple, but let me get through it. Well, they let Kirk Cousins go. Okay, when have they had a better quarterback than Kirk Cousins? Well, immediately a lot of people are going to go, yeah, but they got Alex Smith in and he got hurt. And that's kind of my point. You can go get someone who might be better or might be seen as better than Dak Prescott, possibly. Oh, if he gets hurt. It's just like there's so many things that can happen that could go wrong. If you got a guy, he's been in the system, we're going on year five now, you've had success with him, you, you keep that train going. You keep that train going. And it's not like he's Andy Dalton. And I know that's a fun name to reference now that he plays for us. <laughs> but it ain't like he's going losing in the first round of the playoffs every single year. Like just good enough to get in and lose it. Like – They've had some really high highs, and they've had some down times too. But I just think – I mean, obviously, we're all in the boat that this thing gets done at some point. I tell you what, though, man, the, the comments, I, I, I think you're, you can get kind of get emboldened 
after you've played one year on the tag and you get what thirty three million in my pocket guaranteed, hundred okay. percent of it guaranteed. All right, well, well, let's just get through another year on the tag then. If they're going to do that and they're not going to give us what we want, and before you know it, you're a free agent, and then someone does blow you away, and you finally get that big payday like Kirk Cousins did. So I think there's a lot there that would kind of get my tires moving on a deal. I have I, I want to be open, and Bobby has been with me. And I, John, I think you're kind of on this boat. I think you're a little more balanced down the middle. But Bobby and I have been fighting off Twitter trolls and haters, and we've been on the paid for like train, three years. Yeah, for a long time, <laughs> like an ungodly amount of time. <laughs> but I'm telling you, man, pandemic has changed the way I think about a lot of things in life. And this is one of them. If I'm Jerry and Steven, I am not paying anybody anything right now. I am waiting and waiting and waiting. And let's find out where the salary cap goes. And, and, and I'm, find out what the I, numbers I'm okay are. If, if, if that's the line of thinking, if the line of thinking is that, just not no certainty about where the cap is at, I'm okay. If that's just an excuse for them to continue to slow play this and try and drive a hard bargain, that's where I think they're screwing up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> when you said drive a hard bargain, all I kept thinking about is like, yeah, Jerry likes it, like the idea of them driving a hard bargain. But also, let's not forget, Jerry Jones does not mind that every single day that this is being talked about. Like Jerry loves this yeah. because it's, it's it's you're talking about the Cowboys. As long as you're not talking about like arrests and, or, or players, you know, <laughs> d- doing anything negative off the field. Like when it's stuff like this, Jerry loves that this is always being talked about. So it can be in the back of his mind like, yeah, we're going to eventually we're eventually going to go down to four years. We'll give them what they want, but we're not going to do it until July 15th because we want this to be talked about all the way up until July 15th. And hey, maybe for 27, 28 other teams, you, you'd say that that's not possible. It's very possible with Jerry Jones and Adele. I, my my, fav- my all time favorite Jerry quote that's I don't think he's ever said publicly, but I know his relay to Rick Goslin years ago was Goose said that. Jerry told him once very early on, he said, I don't care what you write about me. I don't care what you write about the team as long as you spell Dallas Cowboys right in your headline. <laughs> Man. Hey, Kent, can I rope Kent in for a minute? Kent, if you're uh, with us there. Kent, have you seen the movie Contagion? <laughs> Contagion? Yes. John and Bobby, have you seen the movie Contagion? This is uh, one I have not. I'm going to play a John Mashota here and say I've not seen that. No, man, I'm scared of that. I don't even want to deal with that right now. Maybe a year from now I'll check it out. I'm just going to tell you, give that give that thing a shot. Fire that thing up if you want something that's not terribly optimistic. Um, or 28 Days Later, yeah. We'll, we'll just start watching stuff like well, that. Well, they don't turn into zombies. <laughs> they used the term in this 2011 movie, they used the term social distancing. Whoa. Yeah, I can't really. I, I have a panic attack. I haven't attack. watched it's it since, uh, since all this came out. Uh, since oh. I mean, since all this stuff started happening. But uh, I saw it. it back in the theater back in the day, and... Uh, I did not know that they use social distancing. That's a little creepy. It's, oh. it's so you need creepy. To go start, you need to go start a Reddit thread, KT. Nah, man. Reddit's trying to kick me <laughs> off. I've been dominating that website too much lately. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just went there because we, the pandemic came up. I watched that last night. I cannot believe how real everything is. Uh, now that they sounds do, terrifying, they, though. They do some things yeah, you, to sex up do you get any? You got any tips? Well, no, they do some things to sex up the movie. Like the, there are more like riots and more like, uh, you know, people just breaking into random people's houses and murdering them. Like they do, they add a lot of more, but just in terms of having a breakout and not really controlling it, like. So you're saying it's kind of like this, but if we're, we're going through right now, but if they all of a sudden announce that next week we're going to have a purge day. Yeah, it's this, but like tw- 25 times m- more. 
more in, yeah more dramatic like so yeah. just like it is more zombie-ish fall. than it is currently is yeah so like so, just what we should project into next fall like 18 months from now yeah well okay. no it's not even worse because they're they're like at one point they're they're predicting like 70 million deaths on there but like it, i'm just telling you if you watch it got a pretty good cast on there matt damon always always good matt damon uh Got a good good cast. Kate Winslet, Gwyneth stay away Paltrow, from, uh, stay Jude away from Law. Gwyneth Paltrow. That's the yeah. That's the moral. I was, was going to say Gwyneth Paltrow is uh, the thing that kind of keeps me from wanting to watch it. Well, yeah, she. Uh, and spoiler alert, but she it kind of it's the way I, I don't want to spoil it. I mean, the, 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 I just I do just I, even though I haven't okay, seen fine. the movie. I do know that the trailer shows she's one of the early like pretty aggressive. Zombie-like people. She's at a restaurant. Well, there's no zombie-like people. There's Whatever no zombie people. she is, she like no. turns green and her eyes roll in the back of her head. Those, the, the way they die is through seizures. But uh, so uh, at the end, it shows you that a bat is eating a banana on this tropical island in a tree, and this bat flies to a barn, and it gets up on a wire. And you know how bats hang backwards? And it's eating this banana, and just uh, has a clumsy moment where he fumbles a piece of this banana, and then a pig. Uh, is on the you know the the floor of the barn takes a bite of the banana that the bat had had. Well, the pigs are then taken, slaughtered, and then taken to you know a restaurant. You know, dropped off at a restaurant where they're making some type of. Does, court, does this end dish. with them turning it into pepperoni and delivering well, it to Michael Jordan before Game Five? It doesn't. <laughs> it's not. It's not quite that far. And there's not five guys delivering the food. But Gwyneth Paltrow no, hey, is, nor was there in real life. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Hold on, so hold on, real quick. So Gwyneth Paltrow's eating. She's drunk, and she's taking pictures of her food. She thinks it's the best meal she's ever had. She has to take a picture with the chef. The chef comes out, wipes his hands off on his apron, and then goes and takes a picture with Gwyneth Paltrow, and they're touching hands. And he basically gives her the disease that he had gotten from the pig that he had. That he had been working on in the kitchen. Dang! So this all started with a bat too. Well, so this really is like ours. I don't think ours started with a bat. <laughs> I think ours started with a snake. And I know a lot of people are scared to go there, but I think it started with a snake. Two. How many times did Michael Jordan just blatantly lie in the Last Dance? Well, I don't five. know that. Well, he he didn't lie about the pizza thing. That was his trainer that said that all that five. Five people came to the door and that all that other stuff. I mean, they were both probably in on the lie, but it wasn't just him by himself. Well, well, the way the the way the pizza guy relayed the story was that he only got to like wave at Michael through the door, so Michael didn't even come to the door. So yeah, that would have been had to have been something relayed to Michael. So it's possible that was told to Michael. But he okayed everything that happened on this. But what if he believed that though? I'm just saying, if he was told that, he could have believed that was the case because somebody told him who answered the door and said there were five guys. My biggest question was when Gary, the Gary Payton part, when Gary Payton actually did shut down Michael Jordan, and then uh, they show Gary Payton shutting down Michael Jordan on an iPad, and Michael Jordan laughs and acts like it didn't happen. I was like, wait, look, look yeah. here's the here's the thing: if if, <laughs> if, if 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 Michael Jordan is lying, then like I'm just more liable to believe that we all just don't understand what lying is than to think that Michael Jordan is lying because he's the goat. <laughs> like I, he is that great that I would just. Sooner think that I don't understand what lying is. Bobby would be the Scott like, Burrell. I, I don't go quite that far with him. But, I do uh, with the, that famous beer pong picture with his elbow over the table. I immediately oh. realized that it wasn't against the rules to put your elbow over the table on beer pong because I saw Michael Jordan do it. That's a good point. 
the rules have changed. Now I don't have to watch that movie, so I'm really excited. <laughs> hey, it's a good movie. Uh, yeah, okay, it is. Other Cowboys topics to hit. Let's see. Speaking of basketball, KT. Yeah. We'll get to some basketball-related Cowboys news here in a second, but I want to tell our listeners again about Hydrant. I've been enjoying Hydrant for the past couple of weeks. My wife has been enjoying Hydrant. You know, maybe sometimes in the weekends you go a little bit hard on a Friday night, if you know what I mean, and you stay up really late, and that next morning you're just dehydrated. You're parched. You need something to really get you back into that energetic mood for the weekend, but maybe coffee just isn't the best thing to drink. Did you know that 75% of us walking around just on your average day is chronically dehydrated? If you want to kick that coffee habit like me, but you're worried about your energy levels, uh, maybe look a little bit at Hydrant. What Hydrant does is they create flavor electrolyte packets that you mix directly into your water. It makes hydrating your body easy and delicious. Their rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes like sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc to help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day long. The formula is vegan. You can choose from a ton of different flavors. And I honestly do it multiple times a day. It's not just in the morning. Sometimes I don't want a soda late at night, but I want something a little more flavorful. Hydrant's the way to go. Starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply, and you can save even more if you go ahead and hit that monthly subscription. So, for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash cowboys. That's drinkhydrant.com slash cowboys. Get 25% off. Go ahead and hit that monthly subscription. I've already submitted my order for more Hydrant to get me through the summer. That's drinkhydrant.com slash cowboys. It's great stuff. Drinkhydrant.com. There's um, another player people might say is the GOAT. They'd be uh, wrong. Know, the the uh, millennials would say that. Yeah, they'd be wrong, <laughs> in my opinion. And not even the second best, in my opinion. Oh. But um, wow. Larry Fitzgerald? I, I, go, I, I go with Kobe over LeBron, but that's another um, another conversation. Oh. Um, yeah, we'll get Mike Reiner on for that one, see what he has to say about I go with Detlef Schrem Kobe Bryant. Over Kobe LeBron. Bryant. Oh, nice. Big Parks and Rec fan? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roy Hibbert. One of my favorite, yeah, my favorite cameos ever is Detlef on Parks and Rec. But uh, but anyway, LeBron threw out there on a podcast last week that Jerry had offered him a contract during the lockout. Now, what do you guys think about a that being true, and b could LeBron James actually step in in let's say a month with a month's notice? Hey, this is actually going to happen, and and try and play tight end in the NFL because we saw so, the Rico Gathers experiment not work right. out, and that was like three off seasons and a whole season worth of work for that guy to try to get into that position. So, I mean, Rico's right. no LeBron. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying basketball skill sets don't often translate into Rico wasn't skill scared sets. to play college basketball though, so. Yeah. <laughs> so this was 2011. So at that time, LeBron is like uh, probably 26, 27 years old. So let's take that into factor as opposed to now when he would be 35, 36. Um, now, no way. At that time, um, I think it's possible because right around that time, I don't remember if it was 2011, 2012. Um, I asked somebody in, we'll just say the Cowboys scouting department about where they thought Michael Jordan, I mean uh, LeBron James would go 
if he entered the NFL draft without even playing in college. And this person told me that he would go in the first round and there was no doubt about it. And I was like, well, so like tight end or D end or whatever. And this person told me tight end. And so, um, I, I kind of find it hard to believe that if he had entered the draft cause he wanted, he was completely done playing basketball at 26. I find it hard to believe that all 32 teams would pass on the chance to at least see what he has just because I think it's a, an incredible, I'm, I'm very pro Jordan, but it's an incredible disservice to LeBron James to compare him at all to Rico gathers because, uh, LeBron James is maybe the greatest pure athlete that we've ever seen. So it's hard to believe that he would go out on a football field and be anything like Rico gathers. I, uh, in terms of the idea of, is it true? Uh, I'll just go back to five minutes ago and reference the Rick Goslin quote spelled Dallas Cowboys right in the headline. I'm certain that something Jerry said during the lockout. I wouldn't sure. doubt that. Um, but as to whether he could do it, I mean, he's, he was a, he, Ohio state was interested in him and, and wanted him to come play football there when he was in high school at St. Mary's. Um, I, I think that, Maybe if he would have developed those skills. It's funny, Michael Johnson, the old sprinter who's out at Michael Johnson Performance Center now, he, he trains draft, draft picks uh, leading up to the combine. And somebody had asked him there about, uh, I, can't remember, I think it was Tyreek Hill, if, if he thought Tyreek Hill could have, you know, been an Olympic sprinter or if he could, you know, hang with an Olympic sprinter. And, and Michael Johnson just thought it was like, no. He's like, you know, you these are guys who have dedicated their whole lives, like they're world-class athletes too, and they've dedicated their whole lives to all the techniques and, and to do these things. And so they, they're going to have a decided edge and, and he's not going to be able to hang with them. Same sort of thing with LeBron. If LeBron had maybe committed to this as a high schooler and gone up and, and gone all the way up through, you know, to the professional level, then uh, yeah, I think that he's the type of athlete that could have played football rather easily and, and potentially been a really good one. Uh, but I, I don't know that just coming in at the age of 27 and and trying to you know pick up the sport. I mean, we all marvel the recently at Michael Jordan hitting two twelve or whatever at Double A as just how insane that was. As what a rare athlete he was that he was able to even step up and do that. I mean, the equivalent of hitting two twelve at Double A, you you bring that onto the an NFL roster. That is kind of Rico gathers, and and Rico couldn't hang. And so, despite all the athleticism, well, I'm I just to think about this. A I, I don't think he'd be able to, think, to pick first, up I kind of the necessary. At this happening, but you go back you know, and think about his age then, 27. Techniques. And his defensive such coordinator too, back in high school. Uh, back in high school, had said so many thing, great things about him. Like compared him, and his defensive coordinator played in the NFL. Uh, Mark Murphy was his name. Uh, played for the Packers. And he had said many times, like, "Hey, he's Jerry Rice or you know Steve Largent. Those are the the names he was comparing him to." So it's like, okay, wow, okay. So like, he obviously had something that that's clear at twenty seven, with all focus and a full off season to prepare for it. Yes, I think he could contribute. Would he be a pro bowler? No, but if he had time to to prepare for it, get his body toned the right way. Yes, I think he could contribute. Although, you know, Jason Witten wouldn't come off the field in 2019, so I don't think he was coming off the field in 2011 for a gimmick. You don't think Jason would have found a way to get uh, LeBron on the field? No, no. I, I think that, you know, he and Tony would have kept drawing up their, you know, secret napkin plays like T.O. always accused, and they'd <laughs> cut LeBron out. 
God, would LeBron have been the chip that got the Cowboys past those three straight eight <laughs> and eight seasons? Now. Come on now, KG. Gosh, can you imagine Kyle Orton hitting, you know, hitting LeBron James down the seam for a game winner? <laughs> I, mean, I can now. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, hey, that this is a uh, – it took a global pandemic for this to come up, though. You know, <laughs> like I didn't I don't think I could have ever pictured that. Yeah, now I LeBron, LeBron was like, I was going to sit on this for like my retirement book. But, you know, let me do something for the people now that they're, you know, stuck in a pandemic. I'll reveal this little bit of information. Let's that say is- uh, LeBron comes into the NFL that year and is just awful. What the, how, well, I mean, like let's let's play out how this could have <laughs> this could have actually well well occurred. if he takes a beating in the NFL let's say he's bad at but he takes a year of getting hit the way NFL players yeah. get hit does he come back and is he the same basketball player if he decides to go back? Well, I would say one of the greatest things that he's done um, amongst obviously a lot of other things, but one is that he doesn't get in any trouble. Uh, off the court and then two is that he stays relatively healthy for as long as he's played and for as many games as he's played so I would say that he probably comes back and he probably is kind of like Jordan in a sense where it really didn't take him that long to kind of get back on the bike I don't I don't think that it would have that big but man fo- football is a game. different beating on your body though that's the only thing I would think is does he make himself more susceptible to injuries and breaking down in the latter part of his career if he goes a year playing football and hadn't the Mavs just beaten him in the finals too Right after that, so he wasn't the right. most loved person in Dallas. Right after that, anyway, he would have been if he went to the Cowboys. Yeah, maybe, he, yeah. He, I mean, he was. He used to fall pretty hard, you know, when JJ Barea would catch him on a switch. And so I don't know that, like, I would trust he'd be able to take safeties coming at him in full pads. You know, also these guys whose craft is in another sport. Like, if your craft is in greatness in football, you can go try another sport. Like that's your that's your legacy. Oh, hold, hold on. Hold on, let's. I can't let this JJ Barea thing go. If if you if you stand next to NBA players and you stand in an NFL locker room, it is amazing how much bigger NBA players are. Like LeBron yeah. would look like a freaking giant in the in the Cowboys locker room, this, and that's without even putting on shoulder pads and a helmet. He would be standing over Tyron, like he would stand next to Tyron. People would be like, "Oh my okay, god, okay, okay. what he's, is that?" He's tall. But Dan Skipper was tall too, and like I mean, he he couldn't hang either. But I mean, he's tall. I can't believe that you're comparing LeBron James and Dan LeBron Skipper, J- Rico Gathers. LeBron James is the Dan Skipper of the NBA. You can quote me on that. <laughs> now, but I, I do think that yeah, as, as big as he is, and he is, he's big. NBA players are also lean. Like Jordan was like six six and like one ninety five or whatever. Like I mean, that's incredibly lean. Like you have corners that are that same weight, and they're you know five ten. And so I, I do think that there's a little bit of there's a bit more punishment. And obviously I know a lot of, you know, when they all do it, LeBron's not the only one. I don't want to make it sound like LeBron invented flopping. And that doesn't like indicate any bit about the type of hits he'd be able to take. But I mean, it's a, it's a much more violent game and it's, it's such a different step up. I think it's different than Jordan going and playing baseball, which isn't a contact sport for, you know, however long he played. You think it's for sure that he would have played tight end. What about defensive end? No, I think tight end it takes less, less, because... of an, less, less hits playing defense. No, but he's got good hands, and he and he. Mm-hmm. You could throw up jump balls to him all day mm-hmm. long, and that nobody would be able to get to. Yeah, so, like like no, the, he has like to be catching the, the ball. More like the yeah, and more like the uh, like not quite the inline tight end, more like the big slot, like Evan Ingram type. Yeah, that makes sense. I just think the guys like their primary sport is football. It's easier to go try another sport when your primary sport and you're dedicated to winning championships or whatever in basketball. It's a little more dangerous to go play football. Well, and yeah, who's who's been su- who's who's been successful? 
Because, I mean, you've had, in terms of guys, who, there's not been a ton of them, but who's been successful going from one sport to the NFL? There have been a bunch of them that have tried. I mean, you had, uh, I mean, even if you want to say a guy like Jared Hain. Jared Hain played rugby, right, And it, which is considered one of the more physical sports, and the guy couldn't stop fumbling at the NFL. And you get, like, you know, you take Brandon Whedon or, or you know, Drew Henson or other guys who played, you know, baseball for a little bit. And, like, it's just there's generally not been a, an easy transition, whereas – you have seen a guy like Deion Sanders play football and then he's able to transition over and, and, you know, play some, you know, play some baseball and be effective there. And so I do think it's an easier transition to go from NFL to other sports just because it is such a physically demanding sport. Well, like, I mean, I think Julius Peppers could have had a chance to play maybe in the NBA. He was a really good player yeah. at North Carolina. <laughs> uh, and then there's obviously Tony Gonzalez, you know, had the basketball background. But uh, Jesse Holly uh, played both sports. Hey, don't you I love Jesse. I'm being serious. (laughs) No, I was going to say, don't you? I was just going to say, don't you dare forget about my boy, Charlie Ward. He easily could have played in both. Um, Quincy Carter. I mean, he he doesn't fit for the 90s, but he fits for today. That's for sure. (laughs) No, but I mean, that's the thing is that is, has there been anybody that you can think of that successfully played in the NFL after starting at another sport? No. Because I can't off the top of my head. I can't think of guy like, I mean, a guy like Dion who went and played both, but he started with. The NFL. Where did Bo, Bo Jackson started with football, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I believe so. Before his hip blew up. Uh, Does um, John Elway count? Wasn't he going to play for the Yankees? Did he play? I know he I got drafted. He actually, did I think he, he play? went to training camp, didn't he? Something? I don't know. Oh, I mean, Russell Wilson went to training camp. But, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Like, what about Swanky? I'm talking more. Well, no, stop that. I'm like talking more about Chris Swanky. Like, played at a high level on both sports. Yeah. 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 Or, or played baseball. Or Henson, like, was in the, like, I'm talking about somebody who played professionally in another sport and then decided to go to the NFL, a la, yeah, Winky or uh, Henson or, or Whedon. Gosh, that's a good question. Because I don't know that anybody's made that jump before. I don't think they have. Didn't, didn't, uh... I don't know if he played basketball, too. I know he hosted the basketball show. Ahmad Rashad didn't actually play basketball, too, did he? No. No, just, remember. just didn't pick up games and stuff. Yeah, that's the, the, I think, let me see here. See, now I'm curious about. He also hosted Caesar's Star. Palace. He also hosted, what was the show he hosted on? Uh... Inside Stuff? Yeah, yeah, that was a great show. Ahmad Lots of Michael Jordan on that. Mm-hmm. It was pretty weird that the sideline guy of the finals on the network broadcast was just hanging out backstage in the locker room with Jordan. I don't think I realized, I don't think I realized how much of a, wait, hold on, hold on. You thought, you thought that the locker room part was weird. What about them driving to the game together from his house? And the fact that now they live next door to each other in in Florida, like there was no question that he is just his best friend. It's not like he was just, Oh, Hey, you're a reporter. So, I mean, they clearly had uh, a good friendship too. And I'm sure that that helped, Ahmad Rashad, too, uh, along the way. He probably knew everything that was going on with the team. And so if you're NBC, why wouldn't you have him as the sideline guy? I guess, yeah. You know, and, and I guess like uh, those conversations aren't, aren't being had with Doris Burke and Aaron Andrews and Michelle Tafoya and, and uh, you know, Tracy Wolf said, hey, uh, could you not be best friends with the player? Uh, it's like, <laughs> almost like equate that to them being married to a player and being <laughs> and doing the game. But it's like, man, this does seem like a conflict of interest for the network. But, you know, you know, you know, you know who would be a although, see, technically it was the Olympics and you couldn't be a professional back then. But Bob Hayes played two sports. He played a sport. He was an Olympic star before he played in the NFL. It says Sammy Baugh was um, 
played, was like sand played, played for the um, that was a long St. Louis ago. Cardinals in the minor leagues, and then went to the uh, <laughs> went to the NFL. So slinging Sammy out of TCU. Um, that was a while ago. That was um, a lot of guys drafted by the major leagues, but never ended up playing. Um, See, this is going to yeah, be bad because somebody's going to tweet at us and go, "You idiots! You forgot this Hall of Fame." And then there's nobody that's like really three. big on the list. Stick. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the the, the, the I guess the caveat here is played a sport and then the NFL because some guys like Tebow, you know, went to the NFL and then tried to play another sport after that, you know. Yeah. But to do it the opposite way is. Um, well, who's different. who's who's had real success playing at the professional level of more than one sport? Anyway, just Dion. Dion and Bo. That's about it. Got to be about it, right? Yeah, I, I think, you know, we'll have to see what happens with him. But I I do think it's interesting that Tebow's, like, made it to AAA with the Mets. Now, that could have been a gimmick. But to make it to AAA is pretty impressive. Not that he was, like, some huge, you know, but he had some good NFL moments. What but about like Greg Hardy doing the UFC? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jackie Robinson could have played pro football if he wanted to. Yeah, I think now we can just kind of throw out names. A lot of these guys could have, and they decided to specialize. Well, no, I mean, like, he got he played, like, for some a professional league. Here we go, here we go. Uh, Gene Conley. He was an all-star pitcher in the 50s for the Braves, and two years later, he won his first of three consecutive NBA titles as a member of the Celtics. Interesting. There's Can't one. That's about, about the him. only name. I, the only names I see here in this little article. Yeah, you should be embarrassed, John. You should have known that one. All mm-hmm. the not movies you're watching, you should have known about good old Gene Conley. I see Terry, the, yeah, the, Terry the, Bradshaw the only, set a record in the Javelin before he was in the NFL. So the the only the only this little article that I'm looking at here from sportscasting.com says uh, there's only really four that they identify as having played two sports professionally and it's Bo, Gene Conley, Dion, and then they include Michael, but Michael only played the minors. Otto Graham oh, says played in the NBL national basketball league in 45 and 46 oh, wow. before being um, the Cleveland Browns championship quarterback. So could George Mikan have played in the NFL? He was the LeBron of his day. George <laughs> Hallis was replaced by Babe Ruth as the Yankees right fielder. Well, really? Alice Hall. Maybe they've got a uh, they've got an old tri- tribute to Babe up there. Robert Griffin III was a record-setting hur- hurdler. Also played basketball. A lot of NFL dudes could go play. Could go r- run track at a Jul- high level. Julius Julius Peppers. Uh, to John's point, Julius Peppers could have had an NBA career, but yeah, he for was, sure he was he chose football. There are some track guys. You're right. Like Marquise Goodwin was a big track guy in college. Um, Maurice Jones drew was another one there was, yeah, there's some guys, but yeah, I would say the, the odds of LeBron coming into the NFL and you know, being I, a great I, player is probably oh, more yeah, rare no, than Jordan a, making it to the MLB. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't be a great player. I'm just saying that I think he could make a team and he could contribute in some way. I don't even think he'd be a starter. I mean, he'd have to play for multiple years. I don't think you just come in right away and then all of a sudden they make a, well, a package of plays for you in that. But I do think that he could get on the field and do something. I do think that he could, and, could contribute. And as just a, you know, to throw a bone John's way, another guy that could have gone to the NBA, I think if he would have pursued a little more, it was Marquez White from Florida State. And he got drafted by the Cowboys. <laughs> I was like, where's this going? Marquez White, man. He was, a, he was a legit basketball player. He was. He was on the national championship team, wasn't he, for Florida State? 
basketball. No, they haven't. No, they never won. Man, they or, no, they no, they the, I mean, not, he played not at recently. AT and T Stadium, though, didn't he? In basketball, could, uh, could could Tim Pickett have played football, John? <laughs> Nobody else will get that <laughs> joke, but John. But it was worth it for that. <laughs> um, I think you're thinking of Florida. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking uh, of Florida. Yeah, yeah, Florida with the Joe Kim Noah and Corey Brewer and that. But go. no, no. But like Marquez White was a big time basketball recruit coming out of high school. He was a really big time basketball player in Alabama. And he, I think he started like his freshman or sophomore year at Florida State for the basketball team. Yeah, he was good. John, who did y'all hire as your head coach, Florida State? Mike Norvell. Oh man, from Memphis. Yeah. Hey, he yep. he he, yep. he convinced Marvin Wilson to stay. There's not hey, there's not a lot. There was not a lot out there when you really look at it. Like the the big hope for everyone was Dion was really Bob Stoops. And then Bob Stoops just wanted a ton. He wanted everything. There's multiple teams that have tried to make a run at getting Bob Stoops back into college football, and it just doesn't seem like he really wants to do that. But he'll so. do XFL. Hold Dallas yeah, Cowboys right. should have made a done run. for sure now? There's no more XFL ever again? They're, they were going to sell the league. Uh, the WWE was, selling, was trying to sell the league by, I guess, July or something. And they're saying that the leading candidate to buy the league is actually Vince McMahon himself. <laughs> Oh, okay. So like yeah, he might be the outright owner instead of like it being owned by the corporation of the WWE. But that's right. I mean, if the pandemic hadn't happened, I feel like the XFL probably would have played out the season and been pretty fun. Oh, for to watch. sure, they would have played out you, at least you, one you full wanna, season. You want to know something funny uh, regarding the XFL? Is like there was kind of you know as much as they wanted to make it competitive. This is a fun story that I don't think has been out there before. They as much as they wanted to make it competitive, they didn't want like players that were too good. So, like, I know, for instance, there was talk at one point they were trying to, you know, David Irving had some potential interest in playing in the league. And I know that one of the personnel folks with the league itself kind of pushed back and was like, yeah, we don't want you because we worried you'd run over everybody in the league. And so you're, like, too good. And so they actually didn't (laughs) want people that were too good who would make the rest of the league look like it was pathetic. That's interesting. That's that's, that's interesting because I would think that – yeah, you'd want that, like, especially like a quarterback or somebody that would make you want to watch, you know, regardless of, you know, how much that they, they Yeah, dominating. they were just worried that it was going to look like way too, like it was going to make the league look obviously pathetic if David Irving was able to pick up eight sacks. Hey, that must be why Terrence Williams didn't get picked up, right? He's too good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and the fact that he doesn't have the motor skills, as you can see from oh, flipping geez. over a scooter to, you know, run routes. <laughs> but guys, guys, guys. Sorry, I got to stop. That's that, me. I like what you see I mean, what you did there with motor skills. I like that. Yeah, thanks. Oh, I knew. I, I knew as soon as you said that, Bobby, where that was going. I tried. Bobby is, the, Bobby is, is, is he's really good on the old sarcasm on Twitter, what? and it is it always amazes me how many people. What's my fall na- what's into my name? What's my name in here, John? In our little uh, chat session, do you see it there? Bobby Nine Belt. Oh yeah, yeah, it <laughs> oh, is. God, yeah. Um, people, if you're listening to this, if Bobby responds to any of my DAC tweets with anything about Romo, he's not being serious. Okay, mm, don't, you don't get drawn off sides. I think he is being <laughs> serious. I've talked to Bobby off record. Yeah, I'll I tell you. I think he is being serious. Yeah, they shouldn't pay Dak. He's only worth $25 million. Now, nine, nine God, he would have, you know, he would have played until you're, he was hey, 50. You, you're not in with those, with those people that think, hey, they found <laughs> Romo, they found Dak, they can just do it again. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think they totally could. Yeah, go out there and, and find you, you know, that's what Ben DiNucci's here for. He's here to replace Dak. <laughs> oh, my God. It, it would have worked out fine if it would have been Paxton Lynch or... Or Connor, Connor uh, Cook. 
I will say, I will say, this is this is a briefly jumping back to sports. I was I had this discussion with somebody recently. Today. You remember when they let Demarco Murray walk, and there was kind of this arrogant feeling of like anybody could run behind our offensive line, and then Darren McFadden did for like the first time in his career, finished fourth in rushing, and they proved like oh anybody could. I have wondered before, just the conspiracy theorists for me a little bit wonders in the back of my head if they they've got sort of that cockiness again here with Dak. And that they feel like they've developed enough surroundings that they feel they could win with just about anybody else. Man, that would be a really bad line of thinking. I just that position is, I think, is the most valuable in all of sports. That would just be uh, that would be a really poor decision to think you can just plug another quarterback in there and just you know, hey, it'd just be some game manager. It'll be fine. We have enough weapons around him. Oh, you do not want to do. Oh that. yeah, no, I, mean, I think I think it would be a similar. And they kind of tried to do the running back thing again when they got Alan Hearns and a bunch of guys and said, well, we don't right. need a number one receiver. And then they quickly said, hey, let's give up our first round pick to make sure we actually have somebody who can catch the football here. Yeah, that's a scary that's a scary place to go at quarterback. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm open to, you know, most of the other positions, but man, quarterback, probably left tackle, DN. I don't know. Hey, man. I don't hey, think you need to be messing hey. around. Romo has played NFL football more recently than Alden Smith, and they brought him back. So I see no reason why they can't pull Tony out of the booth. Well, we <laughs> we already went there. We on a previous show, I think maybe it was at the combine. We were talking about, you know, could could Belichick throw throw Romo eighteen million, you know, and say, hey, come come play quarterback. How many games for is he going to play? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, people tried to do it with Aikman. See that now? I will say, briefly jumping back off my troll trek again, just to point out that everybody be careful. This guy that everybody fell in love with, the the version of Roma they fell in love with, was you know thirty three, thirty four years old when he finally like really developed the advanced IQ and and consistently you see with these quarterbacks, you know Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan and guys they really start to put it together and become elite. You know they have some of their best seasons, Brady Manning, guys like this when they're into their thirties. Because the arm strength doesn't slip as much. As long as you can protect them, their IQ is higher. They can make better decisions. And the arm strength hasn't slipped too much into their 30s like speed does with other positions and things like that. And so I do think it's a little funny that, like, people seem to have this belief that, like, well, even those who, you know, say, well, Dak's been fine, but he's he is what he is. I think it's hilarious to talk by, about a quarterback as he is what he is before the end of his rookie deal. And... To me, it's like, you know, I think you can project a little bit, given the growth we've already seen, that as his IQ continues to develop and he sees more football and, and he, you know, has that to be able to tap into, you're investing in something that you think four or five years down the road can be pretty special. You wonder, I wonder, just, you know, maybe it's CAA, maybe there's something going on with this new coaching staff, but you wonder why the deal hasn't gotten done. I mean, I just feel like, the, if it's the four years versus five years thing, I feel like the Cowboys would it'd take them about a day to probably, uh, you know, I guess give up that in order to keep their guy here for at least the foreseeable future, you know? Um, but the, but then again, historically, they've done this. They made Dez wait until the like the very last minute of the deadline. They pushed Demarcus Lawrence to two franchise tags. They let Ezekiel Elliott hold out all the training camp. And so, I mean, they've... They've done this before, and they'll cave like they do every time. And again, if they get that done, then no one's talking about it anymore. They don't want that. No, we got to all have something to talk about while we're stuck inside. Especially now. Yet, right. Yeah, two months until this deadline. Will, Let's keep will, it going. And as much <laughs> as, again, people on Twitter like to say, well, he's no Pat Mahomes. Let him win a Super Bowl. It doesn't matter. If Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson get paid before Dak Prescott, his price goes up again. 
Not above yeah. Pat Mahomes, probably, because I think Pat Mahomes will be like the first $40 million player, but his price, regardless, is going to go up because it's going to need to get closer to where Mahomes is. That's why if I was the Cowboys, I'd be trying to get this done sooner rather than later, and they would make some compromises, you know, because like you said, the the, the salary is only going to go up as the years go by, and, you know, the sooner I mean, you make he, him the, the fastest, highest paid player, the, the sooner next year or two years from now, he's not the highest paid player, and the, the market's reset, and you've got him on a somewhat, what you would consider a cheap deal, you know. Which, in, and again, as much as people scoff at that 35 million annually number the thought of paying him that just real quickly ezekiel elliott does anybody remember what his average annual value on his extension was 16 wasn't it 15 it was 15 15 million for six years do you know how many of those six years his base salary is actually 15 million like the very end right two two of the six years Mm -hmm. and it's the last two when there's no guaranteed money and they would probably cut him anyway and so when you see these DAC numbers and you freak out, just also remember, even if it's $35 million annually, there's going to be a lot of years there where he's not making $35 million or anywhere close to it. Yeah, you got to think maybe the guaranteed money is a point of contention as well. He that wants to get his out, money now. Yeah, and that freak out of not getting anything done doesn't even come close to matching the freak out of what happens if you don't get anything done. I just wonder if there's maybe some built-in confidence in the Joneses now because of their ability to find Dak in round four. Maybe oh, we got Mike McCarthy too, and he's a quarterback whisperer. Oh, I bet we can. I bet we could get a guy for cheap on, uh, on the cheap again, and you know, play again with a, God, on I a rookie not. contract. I, I they might. I could see a scenario where the Joneses were emboldened by that thought. I know that's not I, their first option, but if things did get out of hand and things did go crazy. I could if, see them leaning on being emboldened that they think they think they would be able to find someone else. Even though history they, says they get lucky a lot, they think they would be able to find someone else. If Andy Dalton would have been the starter for the Cowboys last year, the Cowboys go 4-12. and 12. As much as everybody likes to talk about, oh, why are you paying Dak for 8-8? Eight and eight? Well, No, like it was 8-8 eight and eight because he saved you from being 4-12, and 12, not because he held you down from being 12-4. and four. And so I, I, I think that'd be that a bad. massive... I four. I think I he could have been, been four and twelve. I do. I think he. I think he won you single handedly about four games last year. And yeah. so I like. I mean, and, and there were a number of games that he would have won for you, except you took the ball out of his hands, like Minnesota, and you put in his, your fifteen million dollar running back. Yeah. You no, know, there's no question he won games for him. I just yeah. I don't know four and twelves. I don't know. I as as much as they've underachieved over the last decade. Like I think it's a pretty talented roster, and really when it. I don't know. Like 2015, obviously they had that horrible year, but I think you'd have to have. Oh yeah, not 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 that there wasn't not that there that. wasn't talent. I'm not saying they would have been four and twelve for lack of or for lack of talent. I'm saying four and twelve because they were a mess. That locker yeah. room was a mess last year, especially yeah. on defense. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I unless you you go completely zero and sixteen this year, or something happens with the with the pandemic that you get a top ten pick and you think you can trade some assets and get that next guy. You're not risking letting Dak get away. I mean, you you don't waste the core of this team with Amari and Zeke and this offensive line probably on their last leg with Tyron being the way he is before you really start having to investing assets uh, into the offensive <laughs> line and these skill players. I mean, the, the time is now to to make a well, run. Well, I look this. at I look at with Jerry too and his age uh, that yep. needs to be brought into perspective. Um, and if you don't think that that matters and that you think that 
he believes he's going to live forever and that stuff doesn't factor in. I think that factored into them going after Mike McCarthy because he, they certainly could have went the younger coach route, but they went and got Mike McCarthy because he was a guy that they felt could continue building on what they have right now and there wouldn't be any of a rebuild at all. It was, hey, let's what our goals were last year, they're going to be the same goals next year because I don't know if I have really time to be sitting here waiting four or five years to turn this thing around. And so that needs to be kept in perspective, too, on the whole idea of them potentially just being like, oh, we can find another guy in the third or fourth round. I don't really believe that they feel Well, that and as, as a testament, again, to John's point about where they're at, and I don't think they want to hit the reset button at the most important position with the level of talent that they have. Hey, I remember I found this right after the season ended, but you got to remember this team had a point differential over 100, which is normally the type of point differential of a team that's, 12 and 4 or 11 and 5 or something like that. Yeah. And it was since 1990, there were 163 NFL teams. There have been 163 NFL teams since 1990 that had a point differential of 100 or greater. And Dallas was one of them. And last year, the Cowboys were the first of the 163 teams to finish the season without a winning record. They are the only team to finish 500 or worse with a point differential that high since 1990. They have loads of talent. Hmm? Is that bad? That's really bad. 8-0, 8-0 in games where they scored at least 30 points, 0-8 when they scored fewer than 30 points. Are you blaming the coaches? I, I mean, you know, did you, did John, did you happen to, John, KT, or Ken, did you guys happen to see that quote I shared today from Bill Walsh? No. I did not. Nope. This, is a, this is a great quote. Tell me who this sounds like to you. This is Bill Walsh talking about his offensive innovation in a book he wrote in 1990. He said, Jason Garrett, listen, you'll hear it. We had we had found a formula that was different from other clubs. Some coaches are somewhat relieved to rely on a simplistic plan. If it doesn't work, they might then say the players didn't block hard enough. They didn't run hard enough. They weren't tough enough. They didn't want it badly enough. We had taken it beyond that pattern of failure and finger pointing so that the responsibility for the success of an offense started with the coach. And the offense was then executed by players who were extremely well prepared we were able to avoid the trap of getting in a desperate situation and just trying to wing it because we were not prepared and then blaming players when it didn't succeed. See, Bill Walsh is the most accountable head coach of all time, and that's why he was revered. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the most, like, he was always uh, in a hurry to take. Do you think Bill Walsh would have told, said Tavon Austin called for a fair catch? Do you think he would have <laughs> not let Amari on the field on fourth down because it's Sanjay Lawls to. I job to control personnel. <laughs> Remember that whole bit at the end of the season. Sanjay. I mean, was so he was the weird. one who was calling the calling the shots there. It's like you're the freaking head coach, dude. Last year was so weird. <laughs> Gosh, my, I, my, the go the most bizarre thing. John, I think I don't remember if you're out at practice this day. Do you remember it was the first? It was leading up to the Philly game, and everybody was watching Dak on the opposite practice field throwing and it was a Friday they were doing special teams drills and Garrett was off with the special teams on one field and everybody was focused on Dak and so I don't know what was happening before it but you loudly heard and this is an athletic podcast Kent right I can verbatim quote something Jason Garrett said okay all right so you just loudly heard Jason Garrett on the opposite field saying come on guys I can't be the only one coaching out here god damn it oh I don't remember that. That was right before the Philly game on Friday. That was the level of discord, I think, that was rampant with that organization, especially with the coaching staff at the end of the year. That's why the, you're talking about the last Philly game. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it was that week when everybody week was 16. everybody was focused over on Dak because he was throwing by himself or, or kind of warming up, and people were waiting to see if he would throw a pass. And Garrett was on the other field with all the special teams unit and ripped into the coaches pretty bad and said, I can't be the only one coaching. I mean, that's why he should have been let go after the Bills game. You yeah. know, just to, or, just or, to try or, I mean, and see. Or, or just, if he was correct that he was the only one coaching and he had a bunch of lazy assistants. He might have been, but the whole world could see that if you're going to do something, really the only thing that could be done was that. You know? Yeah. And it sucks, but that's just well, a part of what a head coach has he, to go through. Let's also keep in mind he could be also specifically just talking to the special teams coaches if you watch their Sure, yeah, because they, they had about sure. four of them nicely. out there. Yeah, there were four special team coaches on staff last year. For sure. Wow. Well, a lot damn. to think about, man. <laughs> a, lot, a, lot, a lot to think about. I And, you know, if, if Dak signs tomorrow, KT, we'll come back tomorrow and we'll talk about it. We're, we're kind of on call, I guess, in, until Dak signs, whenever that is. Sure. Until July 15th. So, Yeah, and if Chris Sims' number is right, we'll, we'll try to get him on. Uh, but, <laughs> yes. What but if Chris we'll, Sims played quarterback for him? Oh, God. Hey, it's an idea. Can you imagine how bad? Yeah, Major Applewhite would have to come in and win the Philly game at the end of the year. Ugh. Well, Bobby, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate it. And, uh, we enjoyed having you this week, man. Thanks, guys. I, I love y'all. Y'all are y'all are my favorite. I listen to every episode. I uh, I work out to Whoa by uh, Forever the Sickest Kids. So this is I feel right at home nice. right here. You're getting getting pretty swole then, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it keeps uh, keeps the cardio up while I'm in quarantine. Excellent. Also, we don't have for that we don't have nearly uh, enough residual. Appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we don't talk nearly enough about. Ken's previous career on this show. We need to do that more often. Yeah, I recall. I recall Dak Prescott saying his celebrity crush was Selena Gomez, and I know Forever the Sickest Kids had a Selena Gomez hookup. So, Kent, you should have been orchestrating. I that. should have Ooh. done that. Why aren't we talking about this stuff? next week after the survey? I'll, I'll get with Selena and tell her, "Hey, there you go. If you want to line into Dak, just just hit me up. <laughs> I'm sure he would be down. I'm sure, every every girl he's dated has been like a Selena Gomez." clone like instagram clone so i think he's what he's been waiting for yeah he's just trying to delay the inevitable of it eventually happening (laughs) that's funny bobby also congrats on the success of your podcast with jane if you want to pump that up since you got uh can a few pennies on this uh streaming (laughs) streaming yeah yeah absolutely i'm gonna ride these slater coattails as long as i can it's the boys and girl (laughs) podcast you can uh Search it anywhere you find your podcasts, and you'll you'll find it. You can also just find it centralized on Twitter by either going to Jane's account at Slater NFL or mine at Bobby Belt TX. All right, John. Any any parting words before we get out of here? No, this was a good show. Anything Thanks, about Bobby. Romo? Appreciate you coming up. Uh, no, no, oh, okay. but uh, I'm sure you'll you'll mention it if you. I got add, chills. Well, just I will saying say this. his name. They probably would. The TV coverage would have been a lot better if uh, Tony would have been playing in that. Uh, golf event yesterday. I just, I just um, can't wait for Dak to take his announcing job in 15 years too. <laughs> wow, what is wrong with Tony you? Holds his... I know I'm such a troll. What did, it, nine, it doesn't what did Tony Twitter. ever do to you? It doesn't end. What did Twitter. he ever do to you? It, it wasn't him. It was just the, the fans. They they make it easy. I just it keeps week, me going in this pandemic. Week 10, CBS announces an emergency retirement press conference for Tony. <laughs> Dak takes over on the fly. Calling some games down the stretch and for the AFC. If Tony's still announcing in 15 years, I don't think his golf career went well. And I don't think his coaching career went well either. 
Because I don't think Tony's going to do this job for 15 years. I think he'll do it for five years. For that kind of money? I think he wants to coach eventually. I don't. I don't. And and, and I didn't think he wanted to coach right, right when his playing career ended. And now that they're paying him money like that, if that money stays on that level, he's not going anywhere. He will be maybe the Maybe that's that why the Cowboys have been so time. slow to pay Dak is because they know Romo's going to come in here and pick his quarterback in two years. I mean, no, Romo's not going to do it until his kids I know, are I'm just, 19. I'm trolling. <laughs> now, assuming his kids don't play college sports. But I think if, if Romo's kids don't play college sports, then there's a chance they will, of course. That's when I, I think 18, his kids are out. I think that's when he'll get back into it. And I don't see that. I don't see him working his way up any kind of food chain at a coach, you know. John Gruden like, didn't have to rework play his quarterbacks way up the food coach chain. and then offensive coordinator and then I don't know. I mean, we're we're in an era where John Lynch is, you know, basically handed over, you know, GM job without having done yeah. any of his sort of that work before, and you. Frequently see quarterbacks go into, I mean, Kellen Moore and Jason Garrett both did it. They became quarterbacks coaches for a year or two and then became coordinators. And I mean, it, it's not too big of a leap, I don't think, to say some team eventually will just gamble and say, oh, well, we really think Tony Romo is smart. Or we really think Peyton Manning's smart. We're just going to give him a head coaching job right now. Well, let's chop it up on the next episode. We've killed this one. We've done it today. Thanks to everyone for subscribing and listening and following and hanging out with us. Bobby Belt, special guest. Father John Mishota. And then next week, we'll also touch on the, the past life of our great producer, Kent Garrison. Oh, good. Great. Can't wait to, to hit on that. I'm actually out next week. I'm not joking. Oh, so, oh no. Uh, no, I'm, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely uh, get to John's Cowboys fan survey and break that whole thing down. See where the fans got it right and wrong. He teased Dude, that a little bit, but um, I'm excited about that one. I took that survey and I enjoyed it. I thought there were some very thought-provoking questions on there, so that'll be good to see what the fans say. Chop that up next week, and that'll be on the next edition of About Them Cowboys, which we will do here on theathletic.com. Of course, if there's any emergency Cowboys news, we're here for you. We always throw up emergency podcast when big news happens, and we will do that next time. For Bobby Belt, for Father John Mashoda, for Kent Garrison, I am Kevin KT Turner. This has been another episode of About Them Cowboys. Cowboys.